Well, greetings, church. Praise the Lord. What an exciting uh, time this is for me and for Marina to be here together with uh, you all. I am just incredibly thankful for uh, Pastor Nick and Patrick as well uh, for just uh, the time that we enjoyed at the seminary for a few years. I studied under Pastor Nick and also took a few classes with uh, Patrick, and that was uh, just a great time of encouragement. Also had a chance this summer to minister to some of your students who joined uh, CBC in Vallejo. So that was uh, just a great time, being in God's Word and fellowship, playing a lot of volleyball. So that was uh, that was great. But I want us to um, focus on God's Word here this morning. If you would open with me to Psalm 90, Psalm 90, and we will look at this passage. But before we do, just bow with me and I want to ask the Lord to bless this time. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you as one who is sovereign over all, one who created all things, including all of us, for your glory, one who continues to love us in spite of us. We were just rehearsing these eternal truths that you are not like us, we're not like you, and yet you love us. You sent your Son for us. We're eternally grateful to you, and that's why we're here this morning, because you, in your mercy, allowed us to understand and reveal your Son to us so that we may behold him, so that we may be satisfied in him, and so that we may proclaim his excellencies to ourselves each and every day, but especially on the on a Sunday like this, and also to all others, to compel them to come to compel them to be satisfied in your Son. And that's why we're here this morning. And I pray as we look at this ancient psalm that you would once again teach us truths, eternal truths about yourself, about us, and how it impacts our life every day, living for you, for Christ. I pray that you would remove all the distractions here this morning and help us to focus Help us to focus on you. Convict us of areas that we need to be convicted of. And help us, Lord, just to rest in the mercies and goodness of Jesus Christ. I pray may this happen here uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's October 1st, as some of you might be aware. October 1st, which for most here, this means that... um, You're back in this working mode. Your vacations are over. Your summer breaks are over. Many of you have entered into another season of school, perhaps homeschooling or maybe public schooling. If your church schedule is anything like our church, we resumed a lot of ministries that were on summer pause just this uh, past couple of weeks, end of September. We're just ready for another year, another year of labor. But fall is also a time when we might be thinking about the significance of what we do. In other words, how important or how meaningful is our work? Uh, Do you ever wonder if there is even lasting purpose to what you do? Or simply, does everything just fade away into nothing after all is said and done. After a few seasons of just hard labor, hard work, 
you just grow up and you die? Is that the end? Maybe you've labored so hard for most of your life, working towards retirement, really anticipating and and looking forward to enjoying that time, only to find out that when you turn 50 or 60 or, or 70, your health is so poor that you can't enjoy anything that you've labored so hard. Or, or maybe you're in the prime of your life. I see many young folks here and, and you're working really hard, but in the back of your mind, you're wondering by looking at your grandparents or you're wondering by maybe remembering a friend who passed away early and you're wondering, if is it even worth it? Will it all matter at the end? Life is too short. We know the statistics. Ten out of ten people die. Can you enjoy life knowing what awaits you? I want you to look with me at Psalm 90. This morning we'll attempt to answer this very question by looking at one of the songs that Moses wrote, which he penned during his wilderness wanderings with the nation of Israel. We know from the book of Numbers that because of the nation's disobedience to the Lord, God determined that every single person except for two who left Egypt would be wasted away in the wilderness. They would die. They would not enter the promised land. And as Moses saw his friends dying one by one, he reflected on this exact truth. And yet being the man of God that Moses was, Moses is not driven to despair. Moses is driven to worship. And this is what I want us to consider And this psalm right here, Psalm 90, is the result of his meditation on the brevity of life. And here's the the simple answer for us here to consider. That your life is meaningful and enjoyable only when it is lived for God and in God. Your life is meaningful and enjoyable only when it is lived for God and in God. In other words, we must properly relate to our God for our lives to have lasting impact and for us to really be filled with joy. And I want us to look at these things here. Three lessons on the brevity of life. Three lessons on the brevity of life. I want us to read in chunks. We'll read first six verses and then we'll read 8 through 11 and then 12 through 17, and we'll look one by one and see what it is that God has us to learn here this morning. Number one, our earthly brevity reminds us that God alone is everlasting. Our earthly brevity reminds us that God alone is everlasting. Let's read verse 1 through 6. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, where you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood, They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew towards evening. It fades and withers 
away. In the first six verses of this song, Moses wants Israel to be confronted with their mortality. Uh, our, our days are but a few. Uh, our lives are too short. Each one of you who are sitting here, you all have an expiration date under God's sovereignty. Consider how the psalmist begins here. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What is the emphasis here? The emphasis is, he'll go on towards the end of the psalm to highlight God's loving kindness. But right here, in the opening of the song, the focus is on God's unchangeable, eternal, infinite nature. Moses begins by declaring that God, look with me at verse 1, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What is this dwelling place? We all have our dwelling places. Dwelling places is your home. This is, this is where you live. This is the sphere where you abide most often. You, God, have been our dwelling place, he says. So God's, it, God is declared to be our, man's home. Our home ever since the creation. As one generation comes and as another one goes, God remains and in God is our dwelling place. So Moses highlights God as the God of history here. From one era to the next, from one epoch to the next, as men come and go, as they expire quickly, God remains. He's the God of history. But not only is He the God of history, He is also the God of creation. Look with me at verse 2. Before the mountains were born, where you gave birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Notice the sequence of events here that, that uh, Moses highlights here. He kind of gradually moves back in time from the formation of the mountains, beginning of verse 2, before the mountains were born to the emergence of the land and all the way to the very point of creation, creation of the earth. This um, verse 2, look with me. Or you gave birth to the earth and the world. The word world literally means land. So he's moving back. The formation of the mountains. Before the mountains, you formed the land and before the land, you formed the earth. And before all of this, there was God. Remember, Moses is the man who penned first five books. First five books. He penned Genesis. He knows. He wrote the creation account. And so he might be thinking about Genesis 1. And he's saying, before Adam and Eve was, you are. You are God. He always was and he always is God is the God of history. He's the God of creation. And as such, God is the God of eternity. Look with me at the end of verse 2. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This concept of eternity, even though we readily affirm it, and we have to affirm it because it is God's word, it's hard for us to comprehend. When we think about eternal being, it's hard to wrap our minds around because we might be able to comprehend the beginning of something that lasts into eternity because that's all of us. But to think of a being who had no beginning and who has no end, it's hard for us to comprehend. Nevertheless, we affirm this truth 
about our God. It is only true of God. Genesis 1 begins in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And it marks the beginning of us, humanity, the world, creation. But Genesis 1 is not the beginning of God. He is God of eternity. From eternity past to eternity future, you are God. He is infinite. He is the source of all things. God alone is God, and we are not. That's the point. As Moses begins to reflect on on the brevity of life, he is thinking in terms of who God is and who we're not. We are not. God is infinite. We are finite. And and I hope that you're not surprised, right, by, by this truth here this morning. And we need to be reminded of that, right? We oftentimes think too much of ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves. But we're not all that. We're not all that. Because, think about this, at the end of the service, you will go out to grab a bite for lunch. Why? Because you're not all that. You need to replenish your bodies. And then as the day comes to an end, you're going to look to what? Hit the hay. Why? Because you're not all that. Because you need to replenish these batteries, right, of yours through sleep. This is a reminder that God is God. And we are not just merely looking at our day. Forget about everything else. The sin that we're dealing with, just the way our bodies are wired, is a good reminder that we're not in the same league with God. He's eternal. And we're temporal. He's everlasting. But we are dust. Look with me at verse 3. You turn men back into dust. He who created everything is a supreme Lord who according to Genesis 2-7 formed man from dust of the ground. And this same God who created man out of the dust, He is the one who turns men back into dust. So in other words, generation after generation comes and goes and they return back where they came from. Friends, this is another reminder that we live under this sovereign rule within the sovereign bounds of God. He controls our lives, everything. He determines, as Acts chapter 17 says, the uh, boundaries of our existence, everything. We cannot move, if we look at it from this side of the cross, we cannot move an inch, we cannot move a finger without Christ allowing us to move an inch. Because it is He who holds all things together, according to Colossians 1. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is passed by. Maybe Moses is recalling the lifespan of of those who lived before the flood. You might remember that the oldest man who lived was Methuselah, who lived 969 years old, years almost reaching this thousand years. It's amazing. And what the point that, that Moses is making here, even though he lived so long, a thousand years, uh, in God's eyes, it's but a day. It's but a day. We think of a thousand years, like, wow, that's a long time. But for God, it's only a day. In fact, it's even shorter than that. Look with me at the scripture. It says, it's like a watch in the night. 
It's like yesterday when it is passed by or as a watch in the night. A watch in the night is basically a three to four hour span. That's how short it is, a thousand years. It's just brief. Our, our earthly brevity reminds us again and again that we are temporal. We're not like God. And to drive this point even further, look at verse 5 and 6. We are helpless in the face of death. When death comes knocking, we can't say no. Why? Because God determined that and It sweeps as a flood and it takes everything in its path. I mean, haven't we, we felt this personally? I'm sure all of you who are sitting here, you were surprised at one point or another by an unexpected loss of a loved one. Maybe a parent, maybe a sibling, maybe a close friend who you thought they were full of strength. They're just trying to figure out. They're just now beginning to enjoy life and then they get diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And then two months later, they're gone. It sweeps like a flood. You think you'll be around for a long time, but God determines otherwise because He is sovereign. Beloved, we're like grass of the field which looks good in the morning, but by the end of the day... It withers away. I love what Spurgeon says. He said, here's the history of grass. Sown, grown, blown, mown, gone. And the history of man is not much more. This is what Moses is talking about. The course of history has been a story of the rise and fall of man who appear for a brief moment and then disappear. As Moses says. So man lives under this one fact about God. He alone is everlasting. Our lives are short and uncertain. I've um, at the Cornerstone studied uh, church history and and oftentimes I would come across um, just ancient pastors and theologians who oftentimes studied and they reflected that they had a human skull in the place where they studied, by their desk or on the shelf or something. Why? As a reminder of the brevity of life. They're not here for a long time. And they would compel man to trust in eternal God. Have you ever wondered, especially on the East Coast, um, when you look at old church buildings, um, until about 70 or so years ago, it was normal for a church to have a cemetery right in front of the building or on the side of the building. It's going to be hard to put a cemetery here somewhere. But old church buildings, they had cemetery. Why? It's not because it was better for church members, you know, just bury someone and go to church. No, it was there as a reminder for them about the brevity of life. Their life is temporal. They need to figure out who they're living for and living with. Beloved, God's word is clear. Our lives are very brief and that should sober us up. Now this raises a question. Why? Why? Why do we have to die? Why do we have to die? Why is my life so brief, your life so brief? And that brings us to second point. Our earthly brevity reveals God's anger against our sin. God's anger against our sin. Verse 7, For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you. 
our secret sins in the light of your presence for all our days have declined in your fury. We have vanished or we have finished our years like a sight. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet the pride, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Friends, we are finite because we are fallen. We are finite because we are fallen. Around 120 people die every minute as a consequence of God's wrath. And Moses was one of the men who really understood the wrath of God. You could, you could see it come off the page. Verse 7, anger, your anger. Verse 7, your wrath. Verse 9, your fury. Oh, Moses dealt with God's anger. He dealt with God's fury. In, in Exodus 15, Moses pens another psalm as a result of God saving them from the ensuing army of the Egyptians. And, and, and he penned this psalm so that Israel could sing glories, could extol God, could praise Him for the salvation that they just experienced. But as you keep reading, in fact, in the same chapter, they didn't sing for long because their singing tur- turned into sinning. They began to sin. Day after day, they kept putting the Lord to the test. And as a result, they were put to death. Think about this. It's been estimated that about 1.2 million people left Egypt. That's a lot of people. They left Egypt. And all of them died in the span of 40 years. 40 years. That's about 30,000 every year or 82 per day. Obviously, they didn't didn't die 82 per day. Some days were worse than others. Some days they got slaughtered by thousands because of their disobedience. But consider the imagery here. He says, we have been consumed. Consumed means that we have perished. We have been overtaken. Why? Because of God's anger. And this this, uh, imagery here of God's anger literally refers to nostrils, your nose. They they flare up when you're mad. It's the sound of of, uh, uh, the snorting. That, that comes from when you're not happy. We have been consumed by your anger. What is God's wrath? I'm sure you are aware of what God's wrath is. Uh, is it some uncontrolled display of temper? Of anger? When someone doesn't do what they're supposed to? Like when I get mad at my kid for not going to sleep after I told him 15 times? Right? Am I the only one or... Is that the anger that that we're dealing with here? No, according to scriptures, the wrath of God is God's righteous indignation over sin. As we heard from Pastor Nick, when man refuses to worship and honor God, God is morally obligated to respond to that disobedience. And look how Moses, he sets men's sin and God's wrath in the same exact verse. For your anger and your wrath, verse 7, you have placed our iniquity. Your wrath, Lord, your anger because of our sins, because of our iniquities, our secret sins. So his anger because of our sin. The cause of God's wrath is always human sin. What sin? Well, any sin, both public and, and hidden 
And no doubt, as Moses, if he was penning this, right before he died, he may have been reflecting even on his own heart. Remember, Moses was one of the ones who did not go into the promised land. Why? Because of his own anger. Because of his own disobedience. So maybe that's what he's contemplating at this very moment. He is barred from entering the promised land. But God's word is very clear. He sees us through and through. No sin, even that which we commit at the heart level, is hidden from God. We sometimes think that we can hide, you know, our sin from our spouse or maybe from our parents or from our pastors or people who are the closest to us. But friends, let us be reminded again and again that God sees everything. Luke 12, 2, But there is nothing covered up that will not be hidden, that will not be revealed and hidden, that will not be known. Hebrews 4.13 And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Beloved, everything is revealed before God and that is a terrifying thought. It should terrify us. And under God's close watch, under the heat of his anger, a person's existence is cut short. It wasn't meant to be this way. When sin entered the world, death entered with sin. What Paul says in Romans 5. And so life is often filled with this endless struggle and countless afflictions. And in the end, Moses says, our ears, they end with a sight, with a groan, with a moan. The best, he says, the pride of life, the best of life. That's full of zeal, full of confidence, right? When you're young, you feel like you can accomplish anything. Even those 30s and 40s and 50s, they are filled with disappointment and grief. Right? To us who are young here, thinking about 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds, man, it seems like a long time. Seems like a long time. But for you who are 70 and 80 maybe here, you reflect back on your lives like, what happened to my life? It is gone. Moses lived up to 120. He died as in his youth, it says. But even he did not escape death. Why? Because of sin. And today, with all of our progress in, in medical science and everything. The same thing is true. 4,000 years ago this song was written. The same is true. 65 years? 73 years lifespan? That's it. That's all we get. Why? Because of sin. And that's the point. No matter how old you might be against the backdrop of God's eternity your days are few. Why? Because of sin. And so as we come to verse 11, Moses begins to reflect and, and says this, Who understands the power of your anger or your fury according to the fear that is due you? In other words, he's asking, uh, who thinks about this? Who, who thinks about the brevity of their life and the basically pointless living? Who can make this connection between God's wrath and the shortness of our days? Or is this just how it is? We live 70 years and then we die and then we expire. As so many out there preach. Why do we ignore the fact of God's wrath? Why do we pretend that it does not exist? Why do we blame someone else for our wretched condition 
but not the one who is most to blame, and that is ourselves. That's what he's getting at in verse 11. Who understands? Who can compute? The, the last part or the second part of verse 11 is that the power of God's wrath mirrors the fear that is due him. In other words, God is, God is angry with men's sin and He's passionate in order to vindicate Himself and we ought to be with the same passion fearing Him and responding to Him. So, how must we live so as to fear God and be wise? Right. So far we're just faced with dilemmas and problems. What's the solution? Tell me, what should I do? Is there hope for us sinners? And I'm here to tell you, based on the scripture, that there is great hope. In fact, I'm not telling you new news. This is old news. This is the good news. This is why you're here this morning. You're here this morning because of hope. Right? You're filled with hope. Is there hope? Yes. Can we enjoy this brief life? Absolutely. As we find in these next set of verses, there is great hope. And friends, it is found in the same God who is angry with sinners. Same God. So we come to third lesson. Our earthly brevity teaches us to take refuge in God. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm to us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. This right here in verse 12 is Moses' first request in this song. Before he goes and starts offering and asking God, he wants to reflect first on who God is. Reflect on himself, on humanity. Figure out why is it that God is angry and then he comes and he asks the very first thing he asks is, Give me wisdom, Lord. I want to be wise in how I respond to this. What does it mean to be wise in light of the first two truths that we learned here in this psalm? Seek mercy. That's part of wisdom. Wise living and seeking God for His mercy. In verse 3, Moses noted that, that God returns people back to dust. And then in verse 13, look with me, he pleads that God would turn. Not that He would turn us to dust, but that God would turn, in verse 13, from His anger and return to this posture of favor towards His people. I mean, isn't this amazing? Think about this, knowing that God is angry with us in our sin. We are not told to run away from the angry God. We are told to look to God and run to Him because He is full of mercy. Run to Him. Moses is seeking refuge in God. He, he says, be sorry for your servants. It's a cry for the Lord to forgive them. Lord, we have nowhere else to go. We have no one else who can be this merciful and this loving to us, so we come to You. We have a, a relationship with You. You have been our personal relationship. Verse 1, dwelling place in all generations. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God, we belong to You, Lord, be merciful to us. Friends, God's eternity then is the answer to man's brevity. 
God's eternity is answer to man's brevity. If he alone lasts forever, we must seek refuge in him. But how can God be our refuge if he's angry? How can we run to the one who's full of wrath and fury? Friends, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We run to Him because He is merciful to us in His Son. When we look at this psalm here, we read it and we must read it as those who are reading it on the right side of the cross. We know how His grace was or how His wrath was satisfied, right? Isn't that what we learn in Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5 tells us, but God demonstrated His own love. Whose love? God's love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. So both the wrath of God belonged to God and the love belonged to God. And He's ready to grant us His love and His mercy. Why? Because of the Son. He has propitiated for us. It's where we get the this great doctrine of propitiation. We live in California, Northern California. Over the last five to seven years, we've been devastated with wildfires. And if you know anything about wildfires, when firefighters, they battle these wildfires, as soon as they know they cannot stop the origin, what they do is they basically figure out the perimeter um, a couple miles from the original fire, and they begin, begin to bulldoze this area around. It's called back burning. And they begin to burn this place so that this fire that they started can meet the fire that someone else started, and they could just burn out this area so that it wouldn't spread miles across. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But they have this controlled burn in order to use up this fuel so that the fire wouldn't feed off of it. Friends, in a similar fashion, Jesus is like that scorched earth, that burned earth. He took the wrath of God for us so that we would take refuge in Him and that we might be saved from God's fiery wrath. And not only this, but while we still are on this earth and live under this curse, that is filled with sadness and burdens and and various pains, we can still rejoice in Christ. Our life is not futile. We're not only living here looking towards the, the reward, and we are. We're not only looking towards the new heavens and new earth. We should. But we can enjoy Christ today in this pain, in this loss. Why? Why? Because Moses says, oh, satisfy us. What? With your loving kindness. Satisfy us. Have you ever been satisfied with something? Someone recommended a restaurant to you, so you went out for a meal, and you're like, this was great. I'm going to pass this on to someone else. Or you're eating something, and you take a bite, and man, it's just so delicious, and you pass it to your wife, and you say, hey, try this. This is so good. Why? Because you're satisfied and you want to pass it to someone else. So what are we supposed to do here on earth when we are satisfied with God's loving kindness? We're supposed to not just enjoy it ourselves. I'm like, no, this is mine. 
No, we're supposed to pass it on to others. So when you babysit, when you disciple your own children, when you homeschool, when you do whatever ministry, what are you doing? You are passing on the satisfaction of Christ to others. Otherwise, it is futile. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Otherwise, you're just waiting to expire. Oh, satisfy us that we may sing and that we may be glad all our days. How many days? I don't know, 70 years, 80 years, 90, 120, maybe 35. Doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that God is full of love and He's sharing that love with us. Sharing that love with us. Friends, a relationship with God through Christ is the only thing that will satisfy you in this life. Nothing else will give you meaning. Nothing else will make you glad to the end of your days, no matter how promising it looks. And I'm sure many of you here can testify. I fetched this. I ran after that. I pursued that to get my satisfaction. And I was brought to nothing. And praise the Lord, you were. So that you can find Christ. You can actually, friends, be glad in life and see God's goodness even in all the little things. So a relationship with God through Christ is the only thing that will give you meaning and purpose in this brief life. As Moses says in verse 16 and 17, Let your work appear to your servant and your majesty to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm Confirm. Moses asked that God would continue to show future generations His majestic work and, and would bring them to the promised land, historically speaking. And as he leads them, Moses prays that he would confirm or establish the work of their hands. And I don't think that Moses is simply praying for like the priesthood work, for the priests. No, he's praying for everything, all of life, family life, church life, business When you serve the Lord, everything you do matters for the Lord. Why? Because you're full of His loving kindness, you're full of His compassion, and you're able to pass that on to others. If you're a builder, doctor, whatever you do, photographer, lawyer, pastor, homemaker, driver, accountant, you're working for God because He is your dwelling place. God makes life meaningful. You're in Him and He is in you. One time, Chuck Swindoll once preached at a family camp where the entire week he was just emphasizing that God has a purpose for every uh, profession. No matter what you do, you don't have to be called a pastor to please the Lord. No matter what you do, you can please God. And you can do it for God. And he just encouraged the believers to realize that they are ordained by God, regardless of their profession. And so at the end of the week, a man comes up, and he's just saying, man, I I just enjoyed this camp so much. And then the camp director asked him what he was doing for a living, and, and he answered, my work? I'm an ordained plumber. I'm an ordained plumber. God has given me a job to do, and I am doing it. Why? Because I am satisfied in Him, and I am radiating that love towards others. Can you enjoy life, friends, knowing that you're going to die? Is there a lasting purpose to what you do? The answer that God offers here for us this morning is absolutely, absolutely, you can be satisfied in this life. You can be full of joy. You can be full of gladness. 
you can live with meaning, with purpose. Why? Because it's derived from God who loves you and who gave himself up for you so that you can live for him. Live for him. Let us be glad this morning. Let us rejoice in this truth. Let us do our work heartily. When you're asked to serve, serve with this attitude of being satisfied. And if you're not, then go back and remind yourself of the gospel. That's the only solution for us to work, for us to do what we're called to do. And friends, those of you who do not know the Lord personally this morning, there might be some in this size this big. There might be some of you who are still reluctant, who are still pushing against, who are still not convinced. You have no other cover. I know you're building your own cover. You're, it's either human works or um, some something else, but you're, you're trying to look pleasing before the one whom you will stand one day. But no cover will work unless it's the cover of Christ. Everything else will burn up. And so I plead with you, take refuge in Him. Consider the result of your life. You will expire. The Lord will remain. And you will come before Him and give an account for everything. But I just want to finally say this. He is worthy. God is worthy for us to seek refuge in Him. The very God who is angry against our sin is the God who opened up the door for us to run through, to humbly ask that He would be sorry for His servant, that He would forgive you. And He's full of mercy. God never rejected anyone who came to Him in humility of heart and asked to be forgiven, ever. So if that's your posture this morning and you want to have purpose in life, God is ready. And for all of us, let's be built up in faith, trust Him, and do our work because we know it's meaningful in Christ. Amen. Father, we thank You for this reminder. We thank You for Your grace. It's hard for us to comprehend how this same God who, with whom there's indignation against sin is the one who sent His only begotten Son into the world in order to cover the very sin he's angry with, and in order to bless the sinner. Oh, the infinite wisdom of God. And we pray that you would just excite us again and again with the gospel. Help us to treasure Christ. Help us to look to him. Help us to do our work heartily for him. And if we ever in the season of great pain and turmoil, when we're tempted to look away, when we're tempted to doubt your love, I pray may you bring us a brother or a sister who can encourage us to look to you and to be reminded of your everlasting love. You're full of love. Help us to treasure that, to grow in it, so that we can pass it to others and to proclaim your glories as your due. Your due. We need to honor you. And we love to honor you. We pray, bless us all as we continue to reflect on this passage. For your glory and our good. Amen.